Come gather round the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. So today our story takes us to a very small farm town formerly known for its beautiful orchards and rice fields, but it recently became the focus of paranormal activity and was featured on the popular TV show, our favorite, Ghost Adventures. Nice. All right, so the city of Biggs, also nicknamed the Devil's Town, and is located north of Sacramento? Yes. Or south of Sacramento? North. North, North, of Sacramento, North of Sacramento, is reported to have paranormal entities affecting not just one family, but also several other residents. The focus of the investigation seems to be with Tori and Gloria Kellett, an older married couple who've been living in their residence for the last five years. You know, and I think at one time they actually lived in Portland, Oregon. Oh, okay. I did like a search on them. Oh, okay. So the husband, Tori, said all his problems started after he had an accident, falling 15 feet and suffering from a really bad head injury. Oh, shoot. Yeah, it seemed that he started feeling the sensation of something crawling over him and up his legs. That would be terrifying. Mm. He also started seeing a black shadow person following him wherever he went. Sometimes when he would go outside for a walk or visit a friend, he would sense this dark figure following behind him. When Zach interviews Tori on their show, I notice that Tori rocks back and forth constantly while he relates what he and Gloria have been experiencing. Huh. So I don't know if you know this, but um, this behavior, according to psychologists can be a sign of severe trauma or anxiety and is often a subconscious coping mechanism used for self-soothing in stressful situations. I think for you, you just bite your lip. Yeah, <laughs> and create a mucus seal. Yeah, yeah. This guy rocks back and forth. Huh. Anyway, Tori describes an entity with three claws it uses to climb up his back and legs, Ew. scratching him and drawing blood. Oh. There's also an entity he claims is very sexual in nature. Mm. Tori hears a female voice moaning erotically in their bedroom at odd hours of the day. And a side note here, it's not his wife, Gloria. I was going to say, it's not Gloria? Yeah. <laughs> is it Gloria Estefan? <laughs> is it? No, it's Gloria Estefan. Estefan. <laughs> <laughs> so Tori describes at times feeling sexual energy penetrating through him. So Zach is clearly uncomfortable when he's describing this, but he comments that perhaps they're dealing with a succubus. And oh. for those of you who want to know what that is, that's a demon assuming a female form to have... You know, the whole purpose of sexual intercourse with men in their sleep. Yes. Not a good thing to have. Well, or maybe it would if you're into that. <laughs> if thing. you're into that. <laughs> one, one could assume that Tori's head injury might be causing his perception to be affected, resulting in his paranormal experiences. After all, there have been links associated with brain trauma and hallucinations, as well as changes in perceptions of the senses. In 2001, cognitive neuroscientist Michael Persinger of Laurentian University, or Laurentian University, published an article in a journal called Perceptual and Motor Skills. 
he and his colleagues came across a very strange case of a teenage girl who said she'd been impregnated by the Holy Spirit and also was feeling a sensation of a baby resting on her left shoulder. That's weird. She also suffered a head injury earlier in her life, and many first thought that her brain trauma was probably responsible for her paranormal sensations and visitations. But, you know, what they couldn't figure out, why would this be happening years later and not right after her accident? Oh, okay. Or her head injury, you know. So Persinger found something else. When they researched the case, this made them pause. The girl had an electronic clock that sat next to her bed, and it generated magnetic pulses similar to those the scientists would then use to test um, rats by triggering their epileptic seizures. And they would do this with this, like, a like magnetic pulsing. So was it affecting the implant that the aliens had put into her brain when she had the fall? Is that what's happened? Your brain thinks just like mine, Holly. <laughs> After they removed the clock from her room, the sensation of the baby ghost left her, and oh. she felt free from any further episodes of spiritual visitation. So strange. People who have had trauma to their head, especially in the temporal lobe region, are particularly sensitive to electromagnetic frequencies and sound waves, which interfere or distort the way this temporal lobe processes sensory information. Mm -hmm. But in this case, Tori is not the only one experiencing the phenomenon. Huh. Many residents also tell of seeing shadow people, and there are stories of other entities that haunt the town. Oh. Neighbors say they see a lady in white. Well, everybody has one of those in their town. Oh, my town. God. Every town has a lady in white. Everybody does. Actually, you know, we need to do an episode just on lady in white uh, right. stories because right. they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Well, it's those nightgowns they used to wear back in the old days. <laughs> yeah, the Victorian. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, the, you know, they say that they see this lady in white ghost. It floats around the streets of the city. But there have also been a couple of deaths recently that are, you know, really scaring people. They're convinced that they might be caused by evil demons or shadow people. Oh. But if this is true, Holly, then it's pretty unique because I've never heard of a shadow person killing someone. Have you? Yeah, but not in an obvious way. More like making them very sick and then they pass away. The Dead okay, Files has covered this. <laughs> like where it's draining their energy. And right. as you're talking about this story, it does bring to mind for me an episode of The Dead Files where they were in a California town and there was, a, and I'm not sure if it was Biggs that they were at, but there was some kind of farming community and there was a house that these kids were like adult children. They were worried about their mom and their dad had passed away in the house Amy came to the house and she was like, there are shadow people all over this house. Yeah. So yeah. I guess, yeah. She thinks the I shadow people essentially sucked his life force out until he died. Yeah. I think they, I think it's like you said, they're more, they're usually not like gruesome killings. It's more like um, stealth killings. Yeah. We did an, an actual entire episode on shadow people last season. For those that might not know, these are black, dense shadows that appear darker than night. They seem to be more passive in nature, and they're referred to usually as the watchers because they seem to be watching us as we sleep or only seen staring at us from, like, corners of our rooms or out of the corners of our eyes. Sometimes the periphery vision a lot. That's yeah. That's where they are. Yeah. And sometimes shadow people can resemble, like, the hat man, who is a very popular type of shadow figure. He's described as a dark shadow in the form of a man wearing a large black rimmed hat with a long shadowy black coat so the kellets believe that their house is a center or portal for spirits to come into our realm 
Tori thinks that the shadow person who follows him and is seen most often in their hallways is a gatekeeper of this portal. And this shadow person only allows one or two entities to cross over at any given time. Certain entities will also compel Tori to turn on a fan so that they can easily communicate through that noise. Electronic voice recording equipment has picked up words and sneezes in the fan when it is turned on. Well, that could be anybody because, you know, a fan sure. Sure, sure causes people to sneeze, doesn't sure. it? Yeah, it's true. Even ghosts, I guess. <laughs> um, investigators and psychics, besides the ghost adventure crew have visited the home, feel the communication through the fan is by specific entities called elementals. These are spirits who feed off the elements like wind, rain, earth, and fire. The fan, they say, gives them the element of wind, a medium to communicate. Have you seen the new um, Stranger Things season four yet? I started watching the first episode, okay. and that's about as far as I've gone. Okay. I've watched the whole thing until I know they're coming out with more in July, I believe. But I swear, as I was watching the show, it kept reminding me of so many things about this town. For one thing, there's that, I don't know if you've gone to this yet, where you've seen that huge grandfather clock mm -hmm. um, in that family's hallway. Well, I don't want to spoil it for those who are currently watching Stranger Things or might want to watch it in the future. But let's just say that I think the grandfather clock, the ceiling fan communication, it just makes me wonder if the writers got, you know, a few ideas from Biggs. California haunting. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So back to the story. One psychic thinks these crawling creatures with the three claws are imps. Imps? Imps that live under the bed. What? Yeah. Imps. I have not heard about an imp story in, I don't think I've ever heard an imp story. I don't even think about imps anymore. So the only reason I've ever even thought about imps in my entire life is because I have a Halloween tarot deck and one of these suits is imps. I know. I have that same deck. You have deck. that same deck. And these little imps. Yeah. What do they represent? The pentacles? Um, I don't swords? remember. Let me see if I can Google it. But yeah. No, imps. no. That's a good deck. Yeah. Imps. It's a great deck. They're like little, like, almost like, um, what do you think they look like? Bats or something? They look like little devils to me. Tori is seeing a lot of things. So besides the shadow figures, mm -hmm. he said that he's also seen a ghost that has a dog's head in the home. And Holly, a big praying mantis. Ooh, that's yes. creepy. He said this, yes, this praying mantis Ew. is extremely scary. It looks just like an oversized mantis with snapping jaws, buggy eyes, antenna. And you know there are other sightings of this sort of creature. Yeah. Many think it's a type of alien. Yeah, it sounds like it would. I mean, let's face it, a praying mantis looks like an alien. It, it is. Yeah. It's, the, it's the whole stereotype of aliens. Absolutely. Even green. Yeah. In fact, Beale Air Force Base is only about 40 miles from Biggs, and there have been some reports of UFO activity around there. And, of course, I did some internet research. Mm -hmm. I found that this Beale Air Force Base has recently undergone some pretty crazy upgrades. In particular, they're overhauling their entire energy grids, mm. communication networks, and their power supply, as well as a new hangar rehabilitation with curious features that would be handy for guarding maybe a secret spy plane, Holly, or a 
UFO. UFO. Mm. Thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. So is Beale Air Force Base the new Area 51? And that would explain why there was so much weird stuff happening. Exactly. Maybe aliens are investigating and ran over to Biggs for a little field trip and happy hour. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. could could be. Huh. Um, or maybe they escaped or looking for, you know, their craft. Uh, right. Who knows? Right. A report published in Aviation Week by Guy Norris said that there was an operational unit that is testing and flying secret aircraft now based out of Beale. And at this point, I think it's still a rumor. The secret aircraft called RQ-180s offer an unmanned high-latitude stealth flight with deeply penetrating radar in a highly con- controversial environment. By controversial, do they mean flying this airplane over populated cities and towns like Biggs? It is supposedly a reconnaissance stealth drone. So if it was flying over Biggs, the residents wouldn't see it and they wouldn't hear it. It is nicknamed the White Bat. It Hmm. blends in with the clouds up so high in the sky. Infrasound and electromagnetic energy have been known to cause and mimic paranormal sensations, anxiety, and it sometimes affects the brain to produce fear-induced visions. So this um, theory can be caused by sound frequencies that are below our normal hearing Mm -hmm. and also with stealth hypersonic planes because, you know, it's so stealth it would be virtually silent and undetectable, but it would still maybe affect a person who's sensitive to that right especially after suffering from a head injury yeah but you know we don't know exactly what's going on there and if alien activity is involved mm-hmm. um you know it might possibly be that this whole upgrade at the base mm-hmm. is creating concerned interest from our galaxy visitors who might just need to wonder what we're up to yeah you know what we've created and obviously that's becoming a much hotter topic now because it totally is the government's coming forward finally after decades saying oh yeah um there are things in the sky that fly around and we don't know what they are and we're trying to figure it out but we don't know what kind of threat they pose that's kind of concerning because they're basically and now now maybe it is a top secret military plane mm-hmm. but no one is claiming it because they're trying to keep it top Top secret secret. right so it's hard to say if it is of our planet or not right now the Kellets said they had their house blessed by a pastor before um you know ghost adventures came and investigated but it didn't do any good so maybe it is alien and not demonic maybe many residents including gloria and tori say they repeatedly hear three knocks at their door and when they open it there's nobody around well that's usually the devil's calling card isn't it <laughs> yeah. uh, a nearby yes. yeah a nearby neighbor also complained of the same things happening like the knocking and she also felt an entity crawling all over her oh. when she was trying to sleep could you imagine it would just be awful she told several people she couldn't see anything yeah but said it drew blood on her thigh when it tried to drag her out of bed After consulting with her pastor and several other neighbors, she decided to get the house blessed. But this never happened because Kara Casolana died shortly after. Oh, shit. Yes. A witness who never knew the woman and refused to show her face on camera relayed how she saw an incident she can only conclude was an unnatural murder. She and her kids were driving home one evening from a fair near the local high school when she noticed a woman running out of her home and screaming. She said the woman was terrified, and a dark, shadow-like figure was clinging to her back. 
After just a minute, she saw the woman's head twist around <gasps> like Linda Blair in The Exorcist. Oh, my God. And saw her body rose up, levitating above a concrete ditch. She hovered there and started rocking back and forth. The shadow figure appeared to flip her upside down in the air and slammed her back to the ground. Oh, my God. The witness said the dark shadow never left her the entire time. So the show was criticized, though, um, for placing fake crosses at this concrete barrier location when she died. I think people thought it was really hokey because the crosses kind of looked Halloween-ish, you know, oh. kind of just two made up. Right. One of them even had the words pumpkin and demon painted uh -huh. on it. But after further researching this, I found out that the crosses were real. They were placed there by many in the community, and the word demon was not painted as a dark, morbid warning, but as a tribute from the deceased cats that were named Demon and Pumpkin. Oh, <laughs> she named a cat Demon. That's and Pumpkin, funny. yeah. Pumpkin's yeah. cute. Don't demons... invite the demons by naming your pets Demon. Did no, you, in your research, did you find out what her cause of death was determined to be? No, and so I'm getting to that because she's got an 11-year-old daughter who's very skeptical. Her 11-year-old daughter, Dylan, thinks her mother's death was due to drug abuse. Oh, shit. Um, she never realized her mother had a drug problem. But it later came out on some paperwork that Kara Casalana had a warrant charging her with nine counts of forgery. Mm. And she was known to be an addict. So Dylan feels this witness was not credible and her mother probably was hallucinating from a drug overdose. Oh. However, Dylan and her grandmother are trying to get confirmation of this from the detectives who are investigating. But so far, this case and the details of her death are still a mystery. So you would think that they would definitely just come out and be like, oh, no, it was just a drug overdose. So but well, this is not happening. So the woman that witnessed... Mm -hmm. The shadow person yes. attacking this woman that died, she did not have the drug problem or she did? She did not. Okay. But the witness is not being held under scrutiny. It is the woman who died that was being held under scrutiny. Right. So Dylan feels the witness was not credible, though. Okay. Um, she felt she was just making up stuff for the show. And oh, she said okay. her mother probably had all these problems and ended up screaming and running from the house from a drug overdose. I see. And so then this woman just saw what she said she saw, but it was probably BS. Yeah, they're okay. saying it because, you know, she didn't give her name. She didn't show her face yeah. on the show. You just you just heard her story, but it sounded very credible. It sounded like some of the other things that people are saying is happening, like these black shadow figures. Right. You know, so unless she'd heard the rumors or something. Yep. But Christopher French, a psychologist at Goldsmith College of the University of London, who researches the roots of paranormal experiences, said, quote, if you've got one very confident but actually inaccurate witness, it can influence the memory of other people in the town and other witnesses. So what we have is a whole lot of people all being influenced by one family's story. I mean, that's kind of hard to believe, right? And then we have another resident, Susan Cramps, who said recently her brother also died in a very strange manner. She said that doors would open and shut on their own in their house. Their chandelier was always shaking as if there was an earthquake. Well, it is California. <laughs> That's true. But it could also be shaking from a super secret stealth spy drone. Or an alien 
UFO. Yeah. Anyway, Susan would also get three knocks on her door with nobody there Mm. upon answering. I hate that. scary. It's so freaky. And the night her brother died, a black shadow figure was witnessed at her mom's house. So this is so creepy. Her brother was found dead with his head bent back in an unnatural position. Oh, shit. And his mouth forced unnaturally wide open. It was as if he died frozen in fright. Well, that's what I was just going to say. It makes me think of the movie The Ring. Remember? Yes. They all died of fear. Yes. But scared to death. It yeah. totally, that's it totally reminds creepy. me of that. That is creepy. Yeah. And again, there's no details on, nobody is confirming um, how he specifically died. Like when the did, coroner reports and When stuff. did these two people die? Well, I think it was a couple years ago. Okay. I don't think it was like last month or anything. Right. But it wasn't like 20 years ago. No, okay. no, no. In the Ghost Adventure show, they also conduct a seance which many found also to be very cheesy and fake as hell. Mm. But what I found was interesting was Tori's behavior. I, I think Tori's behavior is pretty legit. Um, he just he just seems to me somebody who's traumatized, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And during the show's investigation, he seems pretty convincing. At one point, Tori keeps slapping at something. He says he feels an entity crawling up his leg. Mm. Um, during if, the interview? On, during on the interview, he keeps slapping <laughs> on <laughs> his legs and hitting himself. And the crew gets out their electromagnetic frequency device and records a huge spike of energy over the same leg that he really? was slapping and complaining about. Yeah. But there was no energy spike of any kind registered when they moved the equipment to his other leg. Mm. Gloria, his wife, also confirms that she has experienced feeling this entity attack her while she tries to sleep and also sees these shadow figures and hears the knocking. So many, many people are hearing and sensing these same things. It's just hard to think that all these people are cooperating and making up the same stories. Yeah. No, I'm sure they're all probably having a... Episode. uh, Yeah, a a joint um, experience. Could it be, though, that this is just a big stunt to bring attention and tourism to their city? Several years ago, there was a proposal that was rejected by the city council from the California Milk Processor Board. The dairy industry wanted to buy the town of Biggs for a big advertising campaign to help the dairy farmers and milk industry. In return for their monetary contribution to spruce up the city... They wanted Biggs to change their name to Got Milk. Literally. The they actual wanted, name of the town would be Got yep, Milk. Yep, literally. They <laughs> wanted the whole city to be called Got Milk. So do they just have a shit ton of dairy cows around there? No, that, no, no, not at all. So you can imagine that got voted down pretty quickly. Well, yeah. As the council got over 2,000 emails from the lactose intolerant. Yeah. <laughs> But I was thinking, no, I was thinking, Holly, maybe someone would have benefited greatly from the deal and got pissed off and cursed the town. I leave no stone unturned. You're right. You don't. And, and thank you. And speaking of possible disgruntled evildoers, what if the aliens might also be pissed because they might have known of the plans and was counting on lots of cows to be there? Maybe that's why their alien ships were down there. And bam. They right. fly by no cows. That would piss them off. Is that why they came up to Oregon to take our cows? Yeah, so that's why. Hmm. And then the residents got even, all band together, said, got cows? Nope, but we got demons. 
<laughs> we got demons. And with the small town having over, what, 900 people under the age of 18 all raising hell at night, I think that advertising slogan makes much more sense for them. It does. I think that'll bring in a lot more money. So now they're going to change the name of their town to Got Demons? Got Demons. <laughs> or Devil Town. Devil it's nicknamed Devil Town. Town. Yeah. Anyway, that's my story, Holly. That's pretty good. <laughs> wow. We should take a road trip and go down there sometime. I would love it. It's not that far from us, really. No. Mm-mm. Probably would get there in a day if we yeah. drove. Well, of course, we're not going to drive because of gas prices. Oh, no, we aren't. No. But Well, yeah. Never yeah. mind. We won't go. But you know what? You're in our thoughts. Got Demons. Got, cow- got Milk. Devil Town, Biggs, California. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That was and, awesome. And I'm, I, I'm really curious if there's ongoing investigations and if maybe other shows will do stories yeah. on them. I yeah. think it's super interesting. That is interesting. Well, the murders you described were creepy as They're hell. Creepy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, those were disturbing to say the very least. But, yeah, it was interesting. I've never heard of Devil's Town. Mm-hmm. So, well, now you have. Now I have. Sweet. Okay, so. What are you doing? My story is the rude apple. And uh, <laughs> I know it's a funny name. Not the poisoned apple? Huh? Uh, it's not a, well, it's not a poisoned apple, but it is a weird apple. Um, and it's actually based in some real historical fact this is um a different it's and if you live in the state of connecticut you might be familiar with this story um it's a sort of a legend from that part of the world um it's the strange story of micah rude and the the name rude is r-o-o-d and his rude apple micah was born the youngest of nine children in the town of norwich connecticut in 1653 to his father Thomas and his mother Sarah Rude. Micah had a wonderful childhood growing up on his parents' farm. Then one day his mother became sick and passed away, and his father was recruited to fight in the French-Indian War, and he did not return. Now there are many versions of this story, so that's the version I've picked to tell this tale Mm -hmm. today, that his father went off to war, but there's another version which I'll tell you at the end that's completely different. So Micah eventually moved to the town of Franklin and bought some farmland. Micah went to work and planted an apple orchard and nursed and watered the crops until they became fully mature apple trees. Micah was very proud of his trees as they produced incredible apples. Eventually, however, Micah started to become despondent and depressed. He stopped hanging out with his friends and he kept to himself most days. The townspeople would try to talk to him, but Micah really wasn't interested. He just wanted to stay home and tend to his apple trees. Then one day, a peddler came to Franklin and happened to cross Micah's field of beautiful apple trees. Your trees are gorgeous, said the man. Actually, so this part, I'm just doing my own version of probably what happened. (laughs) Your trees are gorgeous, the man exclaimed in a thick accent. And I can't do accents very well, so I'm not even going to try. Just imagine a thick accent of any, and of any, any accent kind. you can, if you want to choose. You just pick whatever accent and imagine that's what you're hearing. <laughs> Your trees are gorgeous, the man exclaimed in a thick accent. Thank you, said Micah, highly annoyed. However, did you grow such a beautiful crop, said the man. Just hard work, Micah replied. Say, I'm a peddler and be very interested in helping you to sell these apples, he said. I bet we could get a lot of money for a barrel of them. 
Hmm. I'm not interested in selling my apples, said Micah. Micah really didn't like the peddler. For one, the peddler was trying to strike up a conversation, and Micah was not a social person. And two, the peddler had what sounded like a thick French accent, and this made Micah mad as he knew his father had been killed in the French-Indian War. The French oh. and the British colonists were fighting over the land of the Americas with the help of the Native Americans on both sides of the conflict. Mm-hmm. He thought the man could be a French spy from Canada. He was very suspicious of him. But we can make a fortune, the man said. No, said Micah. The man sighed out of frustration. Mondu, he explained. Of course, he didn't, I don't know that he said Mondu. I'm just throwing that in there as a French accent. He could accent. have said, voila. Voila. Well, could I perhaps spend the night at your home? I have traveled far and I could use a good night's sleep before I continue with my journey, said the peddler. No, screamed Micah. I want you to leave. The man was taken aback by Micah's anger. Very well, the peddler said, grabbing his suitcase and moving towards the road. He glared at Micah and then spit on his land as he walked swiftly away. Oh, how dare he? (laughs) Micah glared back at him and watched him disappear in the distance. The next morning, the people of the town awoke for their usual morning duties. A few of the town's children gathered their books and started their walk down the long road to school, the same road that passed Micah Rood's home and orchard. As they approached the orchard, one of the children screamed. The other kids looked at her as she stared in the direction of the orchard. They followed her gaze to see at the base of one of Micah's famous apple trees was a man. He was sitting on the ground, his back against the tree. His head had been split in two by an axe, and blood trickled down his face and body and seeped into the ground below. The children turned and ran back to their homes to tell their parents what they had seen. Soon a curious mob of parents formed and moved down the road to the rude tree farm. They, too, saw the dead man and nervously knocked on Micah's door. Micah came to the door to see what all the fuss was about. There is a dead man at the base of your tree, said one of the townspeople. Micah put on his shirt and pants and boots and went out into the orchard where their mob had formed. Sure enough, at the base of one of his apple trees sat the body of the peddler he had met the day before. Hmm. How did this happen, Micah? asked one of the townspeople. How should I know, said Micah. I didn't kill him. Then who did, someone asked. Micah shrugged his shoulders. I have no idea, but I'll leave his body here to see if anyone comes to claim it, said Micah. The mob looked at each other with questioning eyes. Micah didn't seem to be very surprised to see the dead man. Could he have murdered him? But why? And how could they prove it? The mob quietly dispersed from the orchard, but back in town the rumors were thick. You know, I saw that peddler in town a day or two ago. I think he had a French accent. Do you think Micah killed him because he was French? You know what happened to his father during the French-Indian War, right? Many of the townspeople suspected that Micah was indeed the guilty party. Meanwhile, Micah waited for days for someone to come looking for the peddler, but no one did. Finally, he decided that he needed to bury the body, as its smell was getting quite ripe, baking out in the sun. Yikes. He tied a handkerchief around his face to protect him from the scent. Then he took a shovel and dug a hole for the peddler right at the base of the apple tree from which he rested. Finally, once the hole was dug, Micah rolled the peddler's body inside and covered it with dirt. Once he was finished, he patted the mound of dirt with the back of his shovel and sighed sayonara. The following fall, Micah's apples once again produced a beautiful crop. Micah was quite pleased with himself, but then came a knock on his door. Mr. Rude. It was the police. Micah was surprised. Yes, he said. We wanted to ask you about a peddler who was through here last year about this time. We understand he ended up deceased under one of your apple trees, the officer stated. 
That's correct, said Micah. He was murdered. I don't know by who. I even left him outside for a few days in case someone wanted to claim him, but no one ever did. Well, they're claiming him now, the officer said, holding up a letter in his hand. Indeed, the letter was written from the dead peddler's family. They were looking for him as he had not returned home from his long trip. They wanted to know if anyone had seen him. They explained that he was an immigrant from Germany and therefore spoke with a thick German accent. German, Micah said, turning three shades of white. Yes, he was German, replied the officer. Can you show us where you buried him? Micah was in shock, barely listening to the officer. But he eventually got his wits about him and took the officer out to the apple tree where the peddler was laying. He is here, Micah pointed. The officer pulled out a pad of paper and jotted down some notes. These apples look delicious, said the officer. Do you mind if I have one? Micah, deep in thought and shock, shook his head, yes, very slowly. The officer took one of the apples off the tree and bit into it. He started to chew the apple, but then spit it out. It tastes like blood, he exclaimed. Then the officer and Micah looked at the apple he was holding in his hand. The apple was yellow and perfectly ripe, but on the inside, near its core, was a red stain that looked just like a droplet of blood. Oh, God. Okay, Holly, is this a true story? Yeah. This is a true story? Yep. I'm going to read you something here at the end that, yeah, yes. Holy cow. What the hell is that? cried Micah. He pulled another apple off the tree and cut it open with his knife. It, too, had the perfectly red blood stain inside of it. (gasps) He pulled another and then another. He went on and on until he realized that every apple on that tree had a red blood stain inside of it. The officer took the rest of the information he needed and left Micah standing by the apple tree in bewilderment. How could his prized apples be tainted like this? And then he knew. Micah had indeed killed the peddler, and the peddler was seeking his revenge. That's the only explanation. The next day, the school children were once again on their way into town to attend their classes when they saw another ghastly sight coming from the rude orchard. There, dangling from the same tree that carried blood-stained apples, was the body of Micah Rood. He had hung himself. The townspeople declared that he had felt guilt when he learned that the peddler was not French but German, and then he killed him by mistake, and that the blood-stained apple tree would always remind him of what he had done. The Rude Apple eventually became known as the Micah Apple, and then eventually Mike's Apple. The apples themselves lasted for many years, and the seeds were sold and planted across Connecticut, also growing apples with red flecks inside of them. However, the variety of apple eventually faded out in the late 1800s or the early 1900s, depending on whose account you believe. So that's essentially the story of the root apple. But there's another version of the story that says that Micah Rood's father, Thomas Rood, actually did not go to the French Indian War and die, but instead... He was hung for his crimes of incest after he impregnated his own daughter. Ew. Yeah. So because of that, and I didn't want to go with that storyline because it's much worse. But um, after that, uh, Micah Rood got really depressed because of what had happened into his family Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. But just to tell you that it is indeed a true story. There is a article that was written. So this was way back. He didn't die until my birthday, December 17th, 1728 is when he died. Lots of sevens. Yes. And so in the local record, um, I'll just read to you what they found about this story. The story of the Mike Apple. 
From this tree and its predecessor were taken the sprouts and seeds by means of which all the Mike apple trees had been propagated in eastern Connecticut. From it, Mr. Zika Huntington of this town took away a few days ago an apple that is clearly marked with the rare crimson outside band. The red, now I'm going to have to um, tell you guys this is hard to read because it's printed from an old newspaper. No. Okay, the red path shaped about one side of the fruit is as distinctively traced and is a, as deep a blood color as though blood has been painted on it with a brush. So the way I'm picturing this and the way they describe it is hard to understand, but essentially there is a red swath around the outside of the apple Yeah. as well as an amber hue around it. Mm -hmm. The rest of the article says... In a little work compiled by a local historian in connection with a local celebration in 1868 of the 150th anniversary of the founding of Franklin Congressional Society, this authentic account of Mike and his famous apple tree is given. Rude, Micah, the youngest son of Thomas Rude, who was an early settler upon the east side of the Chetucket, I can't, it's kind of. Goes, Some river it, or something. It, the newspaper print kind of fades. Yeah, I guess. Micah had upon his farm an apple tree which bore large but always with a red gobule like a clot of blood near the center of each That's apple. So nasty. The apple, which has become a great favorite in this vicinity and is called the Mike apple from its originator, still retains this peculi peculiarity and is the object of much curiosity. This story of its origin, handed down from father to son for over a hundred years, has at length grown to be a fixed tradition implicitly believed. As the story runs, a peddler entered town vending such costly and luxurious wares as bad never been seen before in the settlement. Again, I'm not sure what this is saying. The simple Micah, dazzled by the display, invited the peddler to his house and in an evil moment plunged his knife to his heart beneath this very tree so that his lifeblood flowed down and mingled with its roots. The next spring, its blossoms changed from snowy white to red. Ooh. And in August, when the apples came tumbling down, large and yellow and juicy, there hung in every one a drop of blood. There they lay before the terrified Micah, the evidence of his now never-to-be-forgotten deed. With nature in springtime and autumn so strongly prompting the goadings of its conscience, who shall wonder that the simple-hearted Micah should change into a morose and melancholy man and lead in a cursed life? A cursed life. Such was the fact. Time went for naught but the memory of his crime. Business was neglected, and soon from a prosperous farmer he became a pauper, dependent upon the charities of the community. In 1717, he was glad to increase his slender means by assuming charge of the meeting house, receiving therefore a peck of corn yearly from each family in the society. Of his last years or pauper death, the records tell briefly but significantly, um, and then it breaks away, and then it just basically says the people that he helped. Um, he basically swept the floors of the meeting house for the town, and then they paid him in corn. Oh, my gosh. So he was a pauper then. He was a pauper. So in this account of the story, they're basically saying the murder caused him to retreat from society and basically lose his ability to make his living. living. Yeah. He was cursed. Yeah. And, you know, that story is so paranormal yeah it's like yeah isn't it it makes me just not want to be buried under a tree <laughs> holly and well, had i known had i known this story was real and like had i heard it yeah. i certainly wouldn't have drank mike's hard cider yeah, i know 
It makes and me I won't be. Huh? I won't be now. Thank you. You know, and looking at all these cider names, there's even an Angry Orchard hard yes, cider. Angry Orchard. I wonder if they all know about this story. Angry Orchard would probably be the the one that I was trying to think of that would have descended from a story like this. That's crazy. Yeah. But Good I don't know. Story, Holly. But I don't know that it did. I don't yeah. know that it did. Yeah. So yeah. Check so, your apples, check people, your apples before you make bite sure into no them. There's no flecks of red blood inside of them. Yeah. Oh, with does it involve an old historical fact of a president named Washington? No. Oh, no. Like George? No. Good old George? No, oh. not George. No. Well, they're claiming him now. The officer, officer, bleh, he seemed to be a million miles away. The officer took one of the apples off the tree and bit into it. He started to, he started, <laughs> he started to shoot, no. Of the 150th anniversary of the founding of Franklin Congressional Society, this authentic account of Mike, and I'm going to read this again because I'm fucking it up, saying the murder caused him to retreat from his inside. Ah, I am losing my shit. Mike's hard lemonade comes from apples? No. Lemonades. Oh. Black cherry lemonade. Strawberry. That was a hard article to read because it was written in that old oh English. My God. No, my vampire one that I had to do was all old English. I yeah. wanted to die. As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts and all dolls are definitely haunted. guys be sure to follow us on instagram our handle is at fireside phantoms if you have a spooky story you would like to share with us send it to fireside phantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode Tori describes an entity with three claws it uses to climb up his back and legs, Ew. scratching him and drawing blood. Ew. There's also an entity he claims is very sexual in nature. Mm. Tori hears a female voice moaning erotically in their bedroom at odd hours of the day. And a side note here, it's not his wife, Gloria. I was going to say, it's not Gloria? <laughs> yeah. Is it Gloria Estefan? <laughs> is it? No, it's Gloria Estefan. Estefan. <laughs> <laughs> so Tori describes at times feeling sexual energy penetrating through him. So Zach is clearly uncomfortable when he's describing this, but he comments that perhaps they're dealing with a succubus. And oh. for those of you who want to know what that is, that's a demon assuming a female form to have... You know, the whole purpose of sexual intercourse with men in their sleep. Yes. 
not a good thing to have. Well, or maybe it would if you're into that. <laughs> if you're into that. <laughs> one, 